Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. I'm speaking with Devaney Greenwood in this episode, who is a French-American filmmaker known for her film Wild Geese and Into the Thicket, which is coming out next year. She often works in specialty costumes and props with global effects and has recently worked on shows for All Mankind on Apple TV and Station Eleven on HBO Max. She is the founder and executive producer at Cosmica Productions, and she is also affiliated with the Alliance of Women Directors. Devaney Greenwood is someone that I have known for many, many years because when I was a fledgling singer-songwriter in my early 20s, Devaney, a high school student, would come and see me at her local borders in Connecticut. Really, really sweet, and she came and talked to me, and she loved my music. And um, it was very endearing and also very encouraging because it's not easy singing songs in front of strangers all the time. So I really appreciated um, getting to stay connected with Devaney and then finding out all the amazing things that she's been up to. And yeah, so we'll get into that. I also wanted to share that this Wednesday coming up on June 1st, I have my first chant circle that I'm going to be leading. You can get drop-in tickets for that on my website, portersinger.com, on the events tab. And I also have a new subscription program that you can sign up for if you go to portersinger.com and click on subscriptions. You can find out all about that. All right, so let's get into this episode with Devaney. Here we go. All right. Well, yay. Thanks, Devaney. This is really exciting. This is like a for inviting me. What, 20 year reunion? I know. It's been it's been a long time. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Okay, so last I saw you, you were not making films. <laughs> and then fast forward like quite some years. Right. So tell me about tell me about what you're doing now. And I guess then I'll ask like the questions about how you got there. Right. Does that yeah. Make sense? yeah, sure. I know I've had a bit of a, of a bit of a journey to get to this point in my life. Um, yeah, right now I'm doing a couple different things in the film in, film industry. So like my day job, I work for a company called Global Effects, which is a specialty costume and prop shop. We essentially build all of the spacesuit sci-fi suits for film and TV. The majority of any kind of space or sci-fi movie or, or, or show that you see that's us. That's those are ours, cool. and those are our props. Um, most recently, uh, we worked on Moonfall, um, an Apple TV show called For All Mankind, um, Station Eleven on HBO Max. Like we're all over the place. Um, so, That's so cool. yeah, so I work in costumes, which is something I never thought I would do because it it, it wasn't something I was necessarily drawn to. It just happened to be a job opening and. Um, I'm really grateful grateful for it because my main passion is is directing um, and writing, and I feel like uh, up and coming directors they often like the areas of filmmaking that they often neglect are always costumes, props, and art department. They just I don't know why because that is the entire universe of their film. You know what I mean? So you shouldn't neglect those areas, but it's just, I know I'm guilty of it too. When I was starting out, I would be like, no money for props, no money for props. I'll do it myself, <laughs> like, you know? But yeah, yeah. Not- so when you say you you work in costumes, are you like sewing, designing? Like what's so your- the, the house, 
the custom house I work for has a rental department and also um, a manufacturing component. So we have hard goods and soft goods. So we've got people who manufacture like the hard, hard parts and then uh, a wardrobe department that does all the sewing uh, and the cutting and all of that stuff. But um, I run the rental department, but I've also dabbled a little bit in in the um the manufacturing part of it i i can't say that i'm very good at it like there's there's stuff that i i'm able to do but there's other stuff that i just i don't have like the uh you know the specialty skills to really consistently do that um the first film that i worked on and actually got my hands dirty um hasn't come out yet and i'm not really able to talk about it it will be on netflix hopefully this year i worked like okay I want to say like two years ago, COVID has really like pushed everything back. So, I mean, there's always the, when, when you complete something, you want to talk about it, but there's the NDA. So you have to wait. Usually you don't have to wait like this long. This is like two years in counting. <laughs> I know. I think about like all those reality shows where like, you know, at the end they get married or like, you know, they, whatever, and they can't tell anybody. <laughs> for two years because it's it not, happened before. Yeah, COVID. it's it's been, it's yeah. been crazy. Um, I know this project has been the most delayed of them all. I don't know what's going on with it, but we'll see. I think it's coming out this year. So I'll be excited to talk about that one. Um, but yeah, no, majority of my work there is uh, working in the rental department. So we work with the costume designers and the customers directly um, picking out like which suits will work for them. Uh, facilitating that, pulling their orders, and sometimes going on set as a set technician for like our her like higher grade suits. We have like A grade Apollo, A grade EMU suits that are essentially like the closest thing to like going to space. <laughs> we use the same uh, same exact fabric that they use on real spacesuits. Uh, it's an ortho fabric. Um, they're the gold uh, plate visors that we use, same company that sends the gold plate visors to NASA. So there's a lot of uh, really crazy components to our suits. So that's my day job. So, cool. <laughs> um, so you must learn a lot in terms of negotiating. I, I mean, I'm just guessing, sort of trying to think about what it would be like, but like about negotiating prices or like what a like certain budgets could be for films yeah. or like what, what, what's your biggest takeaway, I guess, from, um, I would say the biggest takeaway is really getting an idea of how this industry runs. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people on the outside of it think that everyone has their act together and they don't, <laughs> and they really don't. And it's, pretty surprising you get up to like Netflix productions Amazon productions and it's it's always the same you know whether you're an indie filmmaker or you're like you know making your like big Hollywood blockbuster at the end of the day it's a bunch of people coming together trying to collaborate you've got different personalities different egos and it's always there's always going to be some kind of conflict um, there so it is interesting to kind of see that play out on all these different levels um it's also comforting as as like uh an up-and-coming filmmaker to feel like okay i'm not the only one that feels like everything's on fire all the time around me um but yeah i've got i've made some amazing connections through that job um mostly with um costume people but um i've 
I've made some friends who are producers that actually there's a project that I, I potentially be, will be working on. Um, and it, the, that connection wouldn't have happened if I wasn't working at Global. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn. You know, there's a lot, to, but I will say the only thing is that I'm learning specifically costumes and props. Like there's not much, like I don't, I don't have access to like what their full budget is or, you know what I mean? Like they'll come in, like this mm -hmm. is the budget for costumes and it's always very low because even at that level, they're still, they're still not paying um, their people appropriately. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard, probably not, but like there, we're always on, there's different areas that are always on strike. And right now the costume designers guild has been trying to appeal to get paid more. And it's, it's kind of pathetic how little they get paid. And they're, they're like a key department, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it really boggles my mind how much money is centralized at like the top of creative projects. Yeah and how little gets funneled down to the actual creative. It's, it's, it, like the amount of greed that you, I mean, it's just, it boggles my mind. Yeah, there's, there's, I'm hoping there's a shift in the film industry about appreciating crew and valuing their safety because that is a huge, yeah. huge issue. Um, you keep hearing stories about uh, different crew members, but specifically it, it tends to hit the DPs, the, the cinematographers. Um, dying on set for things that they don't, they don't, and no one should, first of all, no one should ever die on set. Like this is, we're making art, you know what I mean? No one should go into work and think, wow, I hope today I don't die. And then on Especially when you're making a movie, you're not like mining gold. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Why, why do cinematographers end up? Well, uh, did you hear about um, the incident that happened last year with the DP in New Mexico, um, Alec Bal with Alec Baldwin? No, wait, so what is DP? Uh, director of photography. So that's another name for a cinematographer. Um, gotcha. I, I'm going to say her name. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but her, Helena Hutchins. I think that's how you say it. Helena Hutchins is a DP. Um, and she was shooting. It's weird to say that it was a low budget or an indie film because Alec Baldwin was attached as executive producer and as one of the lead actors. And um, as this happens often in the industry where they'll cut a lot of corners and usually um, to the detriment of the crew. And uh, they didn't have a proper weapons master, which is the person in charge of handling uh, the prop guns on set. And um, they didn't follow like safety protocol. They ended up handing um, Alec Baldwin a gun that had a live round in it. And he shot her? Don't tell me he, he shot, shot her and her. killed her. And the bullet actually went through her and hit the director. Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge controversy. I don't remember if this happened in like October. I know it happened at, towards the end of last year. Um, yeah, it's if you, if you want to do some more research about it, it's pretty nuts. And they ended up I mean it's all a pointing fingers game right like they're like oh it's the AD's fault it's a weapons master fault it's Alec Baldwin's fault and Alec Baldwin's like pointing a million fingers away from himself he's like no 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 um 
typically speaking, the actor should take some kind of accountability. And there's, there's a protocol there that when a, when a gun is handed to you, a prop gun is handed to you, um, usually if, if they don't do this, the actor should demand that they show the rounds to make sure that they're blanks, they're all blanks. So that he knows when he takes that gun that, that there's, there's no chance of potentially shooting out a live round. I mean, there shouldn't be a live round in the first place on him. Yeah. What ended up- But why would it have, sorry, but I'm just confused. Like why would it have shot at the cinematographer? Was, <laughs> was it like shooting towards the camera? Yeah, yeah. It, they were doing a rehearsal. They weren't yeah. even shooting like an actual, you know, she, uh, she was framing it and she said like, okay, Alec, do whatever, you know, like whatever action he had to do. I think he had to like pull out his gun and then I shoot it and then he actually shot her. And from what I understand, how that happened was that uh, when they weren't shooting, they were taking the prop guns out and putting live bullets and just messing around and shooting them. Which is also like, I can't even tell you how many layers of messed up and inappropriate and just, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. And that's not, that's not the first time that's happened. There's a lot of stories about that. And uh, unfortunately, the day before this happened, her entire camera team walked off because they didn't feel safe. And she stayed because mm-hmm. she was committed to it. Because from what I, I, I don't know her personally, but she's, she was friends with a lot of my friends. Um, and she was the kind of um, cinematographer who would do anything. You know, she's very passionate, very committed to mm-hmm. the scene and to the, to the story and to the film. Um, and so, yeah, she stayed because she's like, I'm going to see this through. And that's how she's been, she, how she's always been. And fortunately, that ended up being, you know, the end for her. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I did not. And she was that. young. I don't know how old she was, but she just had a baby. Like, I, I, it's, it's devastating. And like, these are the things every time it happens, our whole industry just gets outraged because we're like, it's the producer's fault. Let me be very clear about this. This is the producer's fault. They cut corners. Mm-hmm. They don't want to spend extra money to ensure that everyone is safe on, on set. And it shouldn't be like that. So yeah, I'm a very strong advocate for safety on set. There's there's a lot of things that are continuously neglected. Um, and I'm only a small person. I can't do much. I don't have a lot of power. But if I can make sure that my sets are run a certain way and that I prioritize safety and that I prioritize comfort then I'm going to do that because if we all do that on our small scale, then we, we do set an example and hopefully that will become the norm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That is. That's really crazy. I was actually listening to a, um, a rebel Wilson interview recently um, where she was talking about all of the like sort of insidious kind of sexual abuse that mm-hmm. she did received as an actress in Hollywood and how like she's directing now I guess and so she's making sure that that doesn't happen on her sets yeah. and so similarly to what you're saying about safety I'm like I think yeah it, you know yeah it's in it's in your hands no, it is we have to we have to yeah. do better for sure yeah so yeah but on that same note like I started um I started my own production company I think it was in 2021 yeah it was in 2021 um thank you um yeah it's just you know we we wanted to have a production company to run our own films through um more more for just like insurance it's not like 
I don't, I don't foresee this becoming a business where we actually profit off of it because it's very hard to just start a, a production company and just immediately start profiting off of it. Um, there's not much money to be made with short films um, and acquiring funds to make a feature is very difficult. So, uh, but, but we are doing the best we can. Um, right now we've got a, a film, a proof of concept that's shooting in September for a film called Into the Thicket, which is um, a film I wrote uh, and that'll be directing. And I also wrote a feature film. Uh, so that's what the, do you know what a proof of concept is? Maybe I should like. Okay. No, I don't. And actually, can we, we wind back? Cause I don't even really know what a production company okay. does. Um, so let's start okay. with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard for me to define a production company in, in terms of what I do, because like, this is like tiny little indie, like production company. Um, this is just myself and my wife, um, attaching ourselves to projects and just making them happen. Like I can't really compare myself to a real functioning production company because they have employees. They, you know, they, they're able to have the funds and the means to really like operate um, on a professional level. Meanwhile, it's just kind of, it's like, we're, it's like a garage band, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're just doing, doing things the best way that we can. Um, that's why I said like, it's mostly for insurance to have like an LLC on insurance yeah. through. Um, but yeah, like I said, just. But hypothetically people might present scripts to you yeah. and you would come up with a budget to create these films. Is yeah, that, right it would here, be if, if, the, if we saw a script that we really liked and we wanted to produce and we would take the script on um, as the producers and we would hire a crew, we would um, come up with the budget uh, and then come up with the funds. We might have to find a way to come up with the funds to actually make the film happen. Um, so yeah, that, gotcha. those are, it's a lot. It's basically the company makes the film happen, you know, one way or another. Gotcha. And that's like a fundraising Thing, like sorry this no 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 it's okay. so many questions how do you, how do you raise capital yeah for, so for a film so for how we do it is a combination of self-funding uh investors and uh crowdfunding campaigns oh, yeah it's kind of like a hybrid cool uh, yeah okay yeah. cool so yeah you were talking about into, into the yeah. ticket and so, and going you were going to explain a proof of concept proof of concept is um, I wrote a feature script first, which is a you know feature length um, film, and then because like I mentioned before, it's difficult to acquire funding right out the gate for an entire feature film. A lot of times, filmmakers will will create a proof of concept, which is a short film. It's kind of like a teaser of the feature. So you want to put your best foot forward. Um, a lot of times a proof of concept can be an excerpt straight from the feature script or, um, or it can have like a beginning and an end and, and be like a condensed version. My, my feature is very difficult to, to write a proof of concept on because it, it uh, spans over such a large amount of time. So we start with our protagonist when she's 10 and end when she's 17. So it's not like I can just take a an excerpt out and there's a lot of, of different things my feature is touching on. So I decided to pick some of the elements that I thought would kind of sell and, and the core of it and, and write a proof of concept script from that. 
Um, so it's relying more on intrigue. Hopefully it makes people wonder like, who are these people? And I want to know more. And then that will mm-hmm. um, allow us to like garner more investors and then green light the, or get the uh, future green lit. Yeah. Gotcha. So with, um, with proof of concepts, do you, does the public often see these or is this mostly like something you would show a potential investor? Um, it's, it's a bit of both depending on what you want. Um, I, once, once the film is wrapped and we get it edited and we have the, the final product, um, I will be submitting it through like a festival circuit. And when it's in a festival circuit, the public cannot see it. Um, it's kind of like when you, uh, submit like a poem or something to a lit mag, you have to kind of wait to hear back from them, uh, before. Yeah, yeah, they're very, I mean, every festival has different requirements. So um, there are some festivals that are a little bit more lenient, but the bigger ones, which tend to be the more important ones, they they do have some um, strict uh, requirements for where you can show the film uh, or when you can show the film. So um, once the festival circuit's done, obviously the film gets uploaded online so that the general public can have access to it but yeah it's it's uh the two purposes for me to make this is to do the festival circuit and hopefully um get some attention um maybe you know it gets into a festival and I get to go there in person and meet people and maybe one of them is interested in making it into a feature you know a lot of um, a lot of stories of features being developed kind of start there where you're, you know, you're at Sundance and you meet someone and you guys click and then all of a sudden next thing you know you're making whiplash. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and then the other reason is to have like a, a tangible example of, of the film to bring to investors um, and to bring to production companies and hopefully someone out there will believe in it enough. <laughs> Cool. So when you present it to the festival, though, are you then calling it a short and to you it is a proof of concept? Yeah. There's no category for proof I, of There concept, might right? be. I've never, I've never submitted a proof of concept to a festival, so I'm not, I, it is kind of interchangeable, you know what I mean, proof of concept in short. Um, so if there isn't a proof of concept category, then it will just be considered a short. Yeah. Okay. This is super interesting to me because when I've seen short films, it never occurred to me that this could be the beginning of a bigger yeah. film. I just thought like the intention of it was to make a short right. film as, as a it's, viewer. It's interesting how many features, um, I'm sure both me and you have seen that started with a short that no one knows about. Yeah, that's why I was wondering about like, does the public see it? Do you have any examples yeah, of that? Yeah, um, Whiplash started as a short. Um, a okay. film called that got a lot of attention either last year or the year before called Shiva Baby. I'm not sure if you heard of it. Um, right. I don't see that many adult film, not like porn, but like <laughs> movies made for adults right. because my, I also don't see a lot of that, but because I have right. children. <laughs> yeah, sure. So one I don't get a, to... a good one, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, the, it, but it is interesting when you watch the, um, the shorts or the proof of concepts and you're like wow it really it did start somewhere like I knew the Shiva baby one was was a film school short film like they just made it while they were I think they were going to NYU or or one of the schools in New York City I can't remember but 
yeah, they made a short film and then they were managed to get the funding to make a feature. And it was their first feature, like across the board, I think for the producers, the director and the lead actress, they won a ton of awards. Yeah, wow. it was very successful wow. and good for them because it was a good script. So they did a good job. Cool. And is your production company, so remind me what the name of your production company is because you post as it. On yeah, Instagram, yeah, it's, right? it's called Cosmica Productions. Okay, I'll link to a bunch of stuff in the podcast notes for people to click and find you. Um, so is that mainly focused on like on um, women, right? Yeah, you, you mainly do like women yeah. stories. I mean, when we started it, we had an intention of of the real goal was to find um, stories from people who wouldn't have the means to normally tell their stories. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like a good objective. However, we struggled a lot. We had two, we had a couple different um, productions that were due to unforeseen circumstances didn't happen. Um, And uh, I feel like what has ended up happening with the LLC is that a lot of times in this industry, you'll literally have to make an LLC attached to a a certain project like one project right so um I think I'm allowed to say this but like (laughs) um, a lot of paper yeah so like you know uh tragedy of Macbeth the the newest I don't know if you if you heard of it but I am so not in the loop about anything but I'm sure people listening will know what you're talking Um, about so just continue a24 (laughs) just released uh like a black and white the tragedy of Macbeth it had uh Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand in it um and their the production company that they ran everything under was called Toil and Trouble so even though the production company was a24 they opened their own separate LLC you see what I mean um but what's the purpose of that liability I don't know if it's liability or if it's just to make it easier to funnel all the paperwork through a, a single production company like I said I'm I'm still very green on this I I, I huh. don't have all the answers for that but I wonder if it has to do with like easy bookkeeping it, like who gets what. I think it's probably has to do with that definitely I, oh. I think just really it must keep like the paperwork trail pretty pretty clean and clear because if you you're functioning on like a big level your production companies has a ton of films going in and out in and out in and out I I like I don't blame them for wanting to to start an LLC but not everyone does that like I just gave you an example off the top of my head from because you know they rented from us so I I have to take care of all the accounts so I remember that one um off the top of my head but because we're not planning on at least anytime soon taking on any other project because this this uh into the thicket is like a behemoth of a project to take on. so it's gonna kind of operate as our production company for this film gotcha but you said you were also doing like four films right yeah i'm i'm starting to ad again which is assistant direct yeah so that's that's separate from the production company i wear many okay so you're doing into the thicket plus four films that your assistant directed. No, no, I, I there's into the thicket. There's uh two films I'm ading, 
And um, then I'm working on stuff with, with my day job. So like, there's always like multiple productions I'm working on through my day job. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a lot. It's so, it's so, I, I don't know, I guess kismet that you're, you have a very similar like business structure to this man that I spoke to yesterday oh, really? who like was a, he's a, he's a, I, I want to say painter. He draws, he's a drawer. I don't know, but he's an artist. He's a visual mm -hmm. artist. Um, so he does that as like his, like, you know, for himself. Mm. And then he works for Hallmark. No, no, sorry. He did work for Hallmark. He worked for Papyrus okay. or he works for Papyrus. So he does like visual, well, he does like writing visual for like a company, right? right? It's, it's totally similar, but the, the corporate job that he had gave him some amazing connections. So he worked on these like children's yeah. books with some, you know, with some other authors and stuff. So it, it's, yeah, yeah I, I'm cool. so grateful for my job at global because it, it has opened so many doors for me and just like, I'm grateful for all the people I've met throughout the years there. Um, it's definitely given me like a deeper appreciation, respect and love for, for everyone who works in this industry. So yeah. And then I yeah. can do my thing on the side. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, it must not feel like it's on the side, though. Yeah, like, I mean, right now there is no side. It feels like everything is morphing into one. Like there's that. I wish I had like five different brains because I need more space to like contain all the information. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, go go yeah. you. That's awesome. So, are, are you living in California? Yeah, living in uh, Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And did you, have you lived there for a while? Um, yes and no. I first moved here in 2015 and yeah. Okay. So I would have moved, I would have been out of there by then. Yeah. Okay. Were you living in California? I was, yeah, I'm from California. Mm -hmm. Um, but after college I moved back there mm -hmm. to like do music, but then like totally dropped it and did my other right. thing. And uh, yeah, then ended up moving to Arizona. So, so you're still in Arizona? No, now I'm in Washington. State. Oh, cool. I want to move up there. I want to move up to like Oregon or, or Washington. I'm so tired of LA. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that you could do what you're no. doing necessarily. <laughs> I, I told my wife, I'm like, I, if we could just make this feature happen after I'm retiring, I'm just retiring. Yeah. Unless you want to be like creative director for Amazon yeah. or something. You know? <laughs> I just want to live in the woods and just like be left mm. alone for the rest of my life. You'd get so bored. I know. I know. That's the thing. It's like, you want it. That's why I, I, I call myself bi-coastal because so I'm, in 2015 uh, I had a really rough start in LA like I got into a horrible car accident like six days after moving here um, oh no I also totaled my car when I moved really to LA. I know it's like it's like um it's like rite of passage <laughs> and, and, That's yeah they totaled my car and uh they actually were you okay I have two torn shoulders and I and yeah, oh. like permanently torn shoulders. And um, the woman who hit me didn't have insurance. So I had to lawyer up and then it's so strange. I don't know if you've ever sued anyone before, 
But I feel like people haven't, at least I had an un understanding of like, if something happens, that's what, that's that black and white. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll just get a lawyer and they'll fix it, you know? Um, yeah. And I got the lawyer and he tells me, well, I guess in the case of having a um, someone who is underinsured or not insured, you could go after them technically. And what happens is you basically like claim any income they make over a span of however long it takes for them to pay you back. And I'm like, he like, didn't even consider that an option. He's like, it just, it's almost useless. Like it, you don't, you're not going to make any money. You're, you're just going to like ruin this person's life. And he's like, what you should do is, um, go after your own car insurance that if you paid into underinsured, uh, or uninsured motorists. So I did, and it became this whole ordeal where, because, you know, insurance companies don't want to pay anything, so they'll do everything under the sun to prove that you're lying. Um, like, it got to the point where they would stalk my Instagram, and I posted a, once, I posted a picture of a sunset, and they went back to my lawyer and said, she posted a picture of a sunset, that means she can't be in that much pain. <laughs> like, that, that's the level of in, insanity, you know, this, this, um, Oh, he went on for three years um I it, he wanted me to go to court I ended up moving back to the east coast because I was like it just things were kind of snowballing and I was like oh it just is not it's not good in LA I need to move back I need to move back home I need to reevaluate and um he wanted me to fly back to LA to like actually show up to court and he's like you you're taking a giant risk because if it doesn't go in your favor then you're just gonna owe a ton a ton more money I'm like no just finish let's let's just end this you know what I mean I'm done like three years later like I regret even doing this um and I I think I walked away with like fifteen thousand dollars and the surgery itself like I think it's it, it, I think it's like eighty ninety thousand oh. yeah so I'm never well so did you pay. oh you didn't get the surgery no. Yeah. I also don't have health insurance. Like I haven't had health insurance since Boston. Right. So since I lived in Boston, but, um, yeah. then I, I, What's so your, the company you work for doesn't provide no, health insurance. No, unless you're part of a union in the industry. Um, it's, it's hard to, yeah, you don't really get access to insurance. God. Yeah. And it's, I, was, uh, I could like we could turn this whole thing into like Devony like going on an angry <laughs> tangent about health insurance. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, that is one really nice thing about Washington is you get health care. Really, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to be under a certain income, but yeah. during COVID, it seemed like they were just signing everybody. It's up. like that here, but the way it's kind of like you know how in America, like there is no middle class anymore, right? There's either like yeah. It, it's just they've removed that so you well it's like all the actors you work with are middle right, class right. <laughs> that's true um, but everyone else is poor <laughs> <laughs> or like Bill right. Gates and then that, that's right exactly yeah. um but like for in order to have free health insurance you do have to your total income has to be under a certain amount right but that but that yeah. number is like that number that they give is like, I would be living on the streets if I, if I was that much, yeah. like I wouldn't be worried about health insurance. Yeah. I'd be worried about a roof over my head. <laughs> right. 
Right. And, yeah. I know my, my friend talks about this. Yeah. Show. It's like, it's and, so and then, yeah. and, and, or, or the lowest, like the covered California, like the, the least expensive plan for my wife and I, I think is $500 a month. And the, the deductible. <laughs> oh my God. It's like 12,000. 80,000. Like, <laughs> I think it was $12,000. Oh my God. Well, might as well not have it. Right. So that's, that's right. why you can't have it. No. But then the state of California finds you for not having it every year during tax season, they find you for, for us, because there's two of us in the house. I think it's 2000 or 1400 or something like that. Every, yeah. <laughs> Which is still <laughs> less than having insurance. <laughs> that's how I know. Jesus. Still less than if you paid for that awful, awful plan. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so crazy. What did we, I think we ended up getting a, because when I was in Arizona, we went through this. It was going to be more because we had two kids, um, but it, we were going to, we did like a health savings account. And I think that was acceptable in Arizona. Health savings account. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So that's like something I guess that you pay into, but it basically just, it's basically like your own bank account for health. Right. For, health things like it's not insurance it's not going to pay more right. I don't think but at least you wouldn't get fined for not having it it was really scary going through COVID without health insurance let me tell you yeah especially yeah. at the beginning when no one knew what was going on I was like right, oh my right. god we're gonna die <laughs> who's gonna get up with that oh. bill <laughs> well you probably I mean not to be too controversial, but I've heard ending up at the hospital was not the best fate for a lot of people. Yeah. And I've actually heard of people going to the hospital and being like, oh, I need to get out of here because it was just so insane. Yeah. So maybe it's safe. I know. I, yeah, it did. <laughs> I, I went to the ER once during COVID for my back uh, injury. And I, it was like something like post-apocalyptic. They had, I remember it was freezing. It was so cold that night because it was, in, in yeah, LA. It, it was like wow. LA winter and it gets pretty, it gets pretty cold uh, at night. I mean, not cold, like compared to like <laughs> Connecticut, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but cold for me who has gotten used to LA, but um, yeah. Right. And I remember being in, in the waiting room for like, you know, the typical seven hours and they had, um, they kept all the poor COVID patients outside to separate them from the inside waiting room. And so these people were out there, like they didn't offer them blankets or anything. They have COVID already. And you gotta believe it's pretty bad for them to be at the hospital, you know what I mean? They're waiting outside freezing. And then finally it was like 2 a.m. and they brought them in. Cause, cause I think probably one of them complained was like, I'm gonna freeze to death out here. And so, <laughs> oh my God. So one of the hospital uh, workers comes in and goes, everyone clear to the other side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> okay this is how we're handling it I see <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that is insane so like what what is that experience for you like like with the shoulders shoulders um has gotten much better I had two years where it was awful like to the point where I could barely sleep at night um then what happened is when I moved to Boston, um, I, I was working for Barnes and Noble at the time and I, I got transferred to the Prudential Center store, store and I was a uh, merchandise manager and I was working there for about a little bit over a year and um, I hurt myself at work, ironically, and it was shoulder relief. I think it just aggravated my, my shoulder. Oh, okay. 
And then I got sent to PT, which ended up being the best thing in the world. I really, I had just amazing things to say about it. And I built my strength up. And since that point, I really haven't had any shoulder flare-ups. Like sometimes it'll happen, but it's like once in a blue moon. Now it's my back though. <laughs> now, now I have back issues. So I feel like my body is slowly like making the rounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been doing a whole bunch of, um, I've been really interested in the nervous system and how it affects our body and pain. So I just signed up for this course and I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff. It's oh, that's really fun. Really fun. Interesting. I'm really interested in how stress yeah. affects your body because I'm like a stress ball constant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So like if you're stressed, then you're in sympathetic activation and some people, it sounds like you're probably more like anxiety yeah. stress as opposed to like frozen and like can't right. move like I'm so tense kind of thing. So yeah. And, and they were actually saying that that actually can lead to like back, more back pain. Um, oh no, no, that's the, no, sorry. The, the sympathetic activation they were saying is more like neck, neck shoulders, um, stuff, but yeah, but basically like the tension in your body, um, is, yeah, is definitely related yeah. to, and the, the amount of pain that you feel from it, that's the thing that I found so interesting, actually has to do with the level of stress in your body. So something that wouldn't normally be. Yeah, because I, 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 so I hurt myself in October of last year and I had two herniated discs in my back and um, some herniated discs in my neck. And since then I've been going to PT for, I, at this point it's like four months at least. Um, and I ended up getting an epidural injection. I waited as long as I possibly could because I didn't want to default to that, but I ended up getting it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I did. It helped a lot with the pain management and the inflammation. But um, yeah. my physical therapist, he's still like, he'll work on my back and he'll be like, you are so, he's like, I've met like 90 year olds that have less tension in their back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not my injury. I can tell you yeah. that. <laughs> No, no, it's like, it's habitual. It's like a, it's like a level that your body gets used to. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whew, but it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. It's not made up stress. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. It's a yeah. good and bad time. <laughs> but I feel really grateful because I, you know, I, I, when I graduated high school, I wanted to do film and I didn't because my parents were really oh. against it. So to be able to kind of veer off my path so drastically and then find my way back to like what I wanted to do and to make it happen, even if I don't end up making like big movies, that's not really the goal. It was to create the stories that I wanted to create in the way that I wanted to create because I was, yeah. you know, going to school for creative writing and I worked in publishing and those were things that, you know, I, I, poetry is still the closest thing to my heart, but I felt like it wasn't the um, vehicle to storytelling that I wanted. And I was more of a visual person. So filmmaking was always what attracted me. Yeah. Well, actually tell me about that. Cause I said, I would ask you about your journey towards oh filmmaking and then and we totally I totally forgot yeah. so thank you oh, for no. coming full circle for no, me there so creative writing was acceptable for your parents as a as a <laughs> career but not filmmaking my my mom uh you know my mom's French right you remember that I remember you talking about your mom yes actually my mom's French, <laughs> and I think that she thought creative writing was in English 
degree and that English in her mind was connected to teaching because she's always wanted me to be a teacher. So in her mind, yes. Well, that's a very French thing yeah. too. Like that's a very prestigious, right. prestigious job. Right. Yeah. But she's okay. like, oh, you're going to school to become a teacher. Okay. That sounds great. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like going to school for like poetry and stuff. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I graduated with uh, uh, a useless degree, but I, I wouldn't have traded up for anything <laughs> because I... I'm, I'm dedicating this film to two of my professors. So they made it, the people I met up there made a huge impact on me. Um, so yeah, I worked in publishing for a bit and realized it really wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Um, moved back to Connecticut. And that was when I did like a very long stint of retail, like jumping around to different retail jobs, whatever I could get. I, I worked at Whole Foods. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles with my girlfriend at the time who um, was moving to work in film as a costume designer. And um, oh, yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, funny enough, she designed the dress for my film. So it kind of comes full circle. But yeah, so moved out here, got in the car accident, was kind of handicapped for a couple months. Uh, then I got a job at Barnes and Noble that wasn't paying the bills. Then I had to get a second job at Target. And then I ended up working these crazy, like it was 6 a.m. to midnight every day, no days off. And I, I got burned very wow. quickly. And I was like, why am I in Los Angeles doing this when I could be somewhere else paying less for rent and not killing, you know, like there's right. no purpose of me being in LA if I'm not actually creatively doing something. So, um, and I felt really like I needed a reset. So I moved to Boston, transferred to the store there. It's close to my parents. So I got to kind of see them and recuperate from a lot of the trauma uh, that LA bestowed upon me in the first round. Um, and <laughs> then I started getting really depressed because I wasn't, I wasn't actively creating anything and I wasn't, I'm someone who's very artistically minded. So just working in retail every day was uh, killing my soul, <laughs> truly. Um, and I remember I started doing uh, hip, hypnosis sessions with my hypnotherapist again. And one day she just straight up asked me, she was like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do in your life? Like, it was just a very direct. And I, I think I was kind of BSing her a little bit. She's like, no, tell me what you want to do. And I said, filmmaking. Like, I've always wanted to do filmmaking. And that was something I hadn't uttered since high school. You know what I mean? So there was, something, there was a release there when I said it. It was like something that I had jammed so deeply down inside of me. And it just got blurted out and I could release it. She's like, then go do that. So the money that I took or that I got from the car accident, it wasn't much, but I, I used that to get back to LA to do an eight week um, filmmaking course at a film school out here. Um, and shortly after I graduated from that, I got the job at Global. So that's why I haven't made a lot of films because I have been busy with Global. But at this point now, I'm like, I need to go back to, to making stuff. So um, that's so that's so amazing that I mean, it's like not the outcomes that you would have, you know, ideally, I guess, you know, declared as victory right. to state it in a strange way. But like, you know, you got into the car accident. It, it gave you, it gave you horrible shoulder pain, obviously, but it gave you the money to in it, like in the circuitous way to actually do what 
what you're wanted to do. Yeah, there's the silver lining even with bad things. And I and I know like because I there's been so many bad things that have happened in my life in the last year. And I'm a firm believer that I have no regrets. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but those mistakes had to happen for me to get to where I am. And uh, yeah. I don't think this idea that you're you're too old or you know you're too inexperienced it's just that's just your, you telling yourself no and we have to stop saying no to ourselves because there's not this like perfect guideline to to life and to your goals it's just we're learning like that we're humans on this earth to continue learning and to continue growing to our end goal um, if you're 30 or 40 and you haven't started doing the thing you, you, you've always wanted to do, it doesn't mean it's too late. Like, just, just go ahead and start doing it. Um, and I know like a lot of people are like, oh, it's easier said than done. Yes. But it starts with you. You know what I mean? It really does start with you yeah. really projecting your heart and soul onto that goal, you know, and, and, and just shutting that voice out that says, no, you can't do it because we all have that voice. Yeah. And sometimes it's so yeah. deafening that it, it creates apathy and then we just never do anything. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's funny because I had a similar conversation with a college friend of mine in like our third or fourth year. And I, you know, I was telling them like, well, I want to be a musician and, you know, like, cause that's, that's what I love. That's what I want to do. And she's like, well, not everybody can do that. <laughs> and I was, and I was like, well, but it, it would, isn't it harder to like not do the thing that you want to do? Like, I just never understood that concept. I had so many friends who were like, well, I need to do the thing that's going to make me money. And I'm like, but, but you won't be happy. Right. <laughs> like it just doesn't cognitively it doesn't, it doesn't yeah uh, and when you love something you can try go ahead go ahead and do that job that makes money but you're <laughs> gonna end up coming back to the thing that you love right. it's a boomerang effect right. you know hopefully yeah 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 well good for you for wow <laughs> for doing doing what you there's love a lot of and coming back to there's it. a lot of unknown in this but yeah it's it's worth it yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to share with people like where they can connect with you, find the projects that you're working on? Things yeah. Like that? Do, do I, do I say it or do? <laughs> yeah, you can say it and then I will write it out um, in the podcast okay. description okay. so that people can click on it. Yeah. Um, if you want to follow me on my personal on Instagram, it's, um, at Devney Calypso, and you're probably gonna have to spell that out because <laughs> those are two names that people are gonna be like, huh? <laughs> um, and for the my upcoming film, it's at Into the Thicket. Um, it's a really cool story. Uh, it's got a little bit of everything for everyone. It's a coming of age film. It's a drama. Um, it incorporates some magical realism as well, some fantasy elements. Um, got a great crew of women behind it really really powerful crew of women um and cast uh so and a lot of what, what i'm really excited about is i get to collaborate with um a really great cinematographer from france who um has so much she i, I don't even know like 
there are no words to express how grateful I am for the time that she's given me because she's she's obviously doing this out of like the kindness of her heart, <laughs> um, which just means that you know there's some passion behind the project. You know, there's a lot of people that have jumped on this project that are definitely not doing it for the money, say because it's low budget and. Uh, the magic that comes out of people coming together that have like that unified uh, vision and passion for something is is indescribable. So I feel very grateful for that. Um, and then the production company, if you want to follow that, the Instagram is at Cosmica Productions. Okay. I will share all of that. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to this do this. This is lovely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's so nice to reconnect no. with you too. We need to stay in contact. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you have my number. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you. And to you listening, thanks for joining us on this episode. And we'll see you in the next. All right. Podcast, Bye. please remember to rate it and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, if you go to portersinger.com now, you will find that I have new events, including a monthly chant night on the first Wednesday of every month. You can drop in or choose to subscribe, which means that you get that plus a month's worth of my somatic sound practice, body cello, for just $20 a month. So please check that out. I am creating a little sound healing community, self-healing sound community over there, and I would love to have you be part of it. All right, see you in the next episode.